Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning and welcome to another edition of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, I have the pleasure of having... Uh, Charles D. Morgan. He is going to talk about his book, The Matters of Life and Data. If you would like to join the conversation, feel free to call the studios at 347-324-3460, or you can go ahead and uh, Twitter us or pose a question in the chat room, and the Twitter is hash sign uh, the core business. We'll be back in a moment. We'll take a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back in 30 seconds. Listening to the Core Business Show. You're listening to the Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, Mr. Morgan, uh, Charles Morgan, thank you for, again for being on the show today. You? Great. Uh, I was, our audience really love personal stories on how uh, authors come out and write their books. But tell us about yourself, uh, the way you ever you wanted to tell us, but we love stories. Well, I'm, uh, that's kind of the way I wrote this book is uh, succession of stories to try to teach it. A number of lessons and relate an interesting story about building a company. My background is uh, not very glamorous. I was from a modest-sized town about uh, 200 miles or so north of where you are right now in, in Dallas area, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I grew up there in a uh, you know a modest house with a modest background. But a great interest in, in in cars. I didn't have yet an interest in computers, which I ended up dedicating much of my life for because when I was growing up there really weren't any computers <laughs> But I, I there were there were you know, it's hard for me to imagine there were no computers. Everything but we had books. Still done by man by manual and by books. If you needed to know something, you had to go to the library. There was no other place to, to get information. So it was a very different world that we lived in today, but I was fascinated with things, cars, and always knew I wanted to be an engineer. But 
I wanted to be an engineer because I wanted to race cars and be involved in automobile technology. Well, that didn't really work out very well. You know, I got an engineering degree. I looked around and couldn't find a job that really appealed to me. So I involved myself with IBM in this new field called computers, commercial computing. So, you know, I kind of stumbled into it literally as a senior and uh, college, uh, I went to work for IBM and soon fell fast in love, madly, passionately in love with computers and, and uh, software development, programming, and just about everything that had to do with computers. I've uh, always found difficult challenges and, and difficult problems fun. I like problem solving, and mm -hmm. boy, computers give a lot of problems. Wow. So kind of tell us, you know, computers, if you go back a, you know, a few decades, when you first had your first experience with a computer, tell us what it, that was like. And was it at IBM uh, when you had your first experience on a computer? And when you first turned it on, really kind of tell was. us about that story. Well, I, I, I actually went to work for IBM, and, and you will find this absolutely impossible to leave. I went to work for IBM. I had never even seen a computer. Never seen one. Not only had I not worked on one, I had seen one. And, you know, my first experience with computers literally was after I went to work for IBM and I was sent to a, a school in New Orleans, Louisiana. And our first school at IBM, they were so new at IBM, they were still teaching the young IBMers mostly about accounting machines, which are old electromechanical things that, you, you know, you've probably seen in some museum, a thing looked like a punch card. Well, that mm -hmm. was what we were working with those earliest days. And the IBM 360, which was the first commercial computer, was just hitting the market. And, and businesses around the country were starting to install those computers for to do simple things like payroll and accounting and inventory management, simple accounting applications. And literally the first computer I saw, I didn't get to turn it on, but was in the data center that was in uh, IBM in New Orleans, Louisiana. So now I want you to be understand that I wasn't, in New Orleans wasn't all computers. There were some other things I did there too. So. Wow. And segue in that, which, which your computer experience and, and kind of segue into uh, your book, kind of get us, uh, tells us how did you come about from writing this book? Well, the, 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 the business that uh, I was primary, I led and was primary responsible building uh, called Axiom Corporation. Uh, we were uh, you know, developing applications and service bureau applications for the big banks, and we were helping them bossy credit cards. And mm -hmm. it was kind of an obscure business because what we were doing is building extremely large databases, and these very large databases required very large computers, and the very large uh, computers had massive amounts of data from banks, credit bureaus, and other sources. And, and for you know, we ended up uh, you know hiring you know 
in the in the final days, we had thousands of uh, Arkansas workers, and we had offices around the world, with most of them in the United States. But we had over 2,000 employees in foreign countries, so we were truly an international company with 6,500 employees. Well, people come to me and say. You know, we see all these buildings and all these smart kids go to work for you, but we really don't know what you do. You need to write a book about it. And I had enough people tell me that over the years that I finally decided that I would write a book about it. And when I got into the book, I didn't want to just write a book about the history of Axiom. I wanted to write the book about an entrepreneurial story and how you know, a bunch of young guys from Arkansas could build a, a global IT business, even in Little Rock, Arkansas. And that was really the emphasis for it. I wanted to not only talk about, hey, what we did, how cool that was, mm -hmm. but I wanted to talk about things that young entrepreneurs would look at as a lesson, you know, the importance of business planning, the importance of building a strong culture, the importance of hiring good people, and the importance of uh, having a bunch of people that can work together closely and trust each other. And uh, there are a lot of things in that book well beyond just, uh, say, the story of my life and of Axiom. It's about, you know, our trials and tribulations, a lot of my personal problems that I went through. It always puts a lot of pressure on an entrepreneur when his family has come second to the business all too often, which they did in my case. And mm -hmm. so, it, you know, there's, it, there's all the aspects of that. And I wanted to write the, the whole story, which uh, I, I think I did <clears throat> best I could. Matter of fact, I think the book, I, I, I did many, many, many hours of taping. I think we had 2,000 pages or something of Wow. Uh, uh, transcribed manuscripts, and we managed to boil it down to 300 and something pages. But I had a lot of help trying to turn the 2,000 pages into 300. But um, that was the process that we went through. So hopefully, most people will find it interesting and they learn something. If we if we go to you know you talk about in, uh, at the very beginning of the book the bad guys database kind of tell us what's behind that the bad guys database. Right after nine eleven, we were uh, uh, all in shock. The whole nation was in shock. I was sitting in my office uh, actually three days uh, after nine eleven. And a young man walked in my office and said, I think we found Muhammad Atta and four or five of the co-conspirators that were named in the uh, newspaper by the FBI. We think we found them in some of our databases. And we don't know what to do with the information. And one thing led to another, and shortly we called the FBI ended up uh, building a dialogue with the FBI, the Justice Department. We had about uh, six what the FBI would call international terror experts, and that's another mm -hmm. story. Three of them didn't even have a computer. That's another story. But these guys were and didn't know how to use a computer, never had used a computer. They were totally computer illiterate, and yet they were international terror experts. But 
we we found that we had a tremendous amount of data, and our customers like Citibank and Chase Bank, some of the airline customers that we had, as well as the credit bureaus, there was a lot of information in our databases that uh, was relevant to trying to help figure out who these guys were, where they got their money, and we embarked on a 60-day thing, which created what I would call, what I call the book, the bad guy database. We we got mm-hmm. subpoenas from the Justice Department to subpoena data from us, from the Citibank, from other banks, uh, as well as uh, several airlines and, and several of the credit bureaus. And on top of that, the government provided us with entry and exit data from uh, the Middle Eastern countries for the previous uh, seven years, I think. Mm-hmm. So all that data put together created a bad guy database. Wow. And there certainly was a wealth of information in there about how they, uh, who these guys knew, how they financed their operations, and some of the people that were clearly connected to the 9-11 conspirators but were were not at the time known to the government yet, and we helped introduce the government to clearly guys who helped them, guys traveled in from overseas, you know, shared cars with them and apartments with them, and it was obvious that they were part of the conspiracy in one way or the other. Do you think this attack, and I know that uh, you think America was really naive that something would never happen in the country like this? Uh, Absolutely. I've so that gave. I don't, I don't. I'm sorry, Ken. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I think we all were naive. I, it never had occurred to me that something like this would happen. I don't think uh, any of us had just even thought that there would ever be some kind of plot. I mean, some guys learn how to fly airplanes, come over here and fly airplanes in the World Trade Center. I mean, in the in the Pentagon. I mean, that was. Just so, you know, you could imagine them, you know, hijacking airplanes and doing something crazy. But that was such a bodacious idea that uh, I don't think any of us ever believed that that would happen. It just never occurred to me that stuff like that would happen, ever. And I don't think it occurred to the FBI, the Justice Department, or anybody else. I will tell you that I did meet with... Uh, the the government actually had some idea that there were these big time plots. Uh, part of the a little bit of the story in there is that I knew Bill Clinton and uh, had after nine eleven he was already out of office, but he came and spent a good bit of an afternoon with the uh, with me and some of our team, and he regaled us with some of the stories about things that happened while he was in office, and it did turn out that the government had a lot more clue than they let on. There was the plot to blow up the L.A. airport uh, Mm -hmm. that got boiled, and there were other plots that uh, the government managed, of all things, to stop before they ever happened that uh, should have given the the, uh, CIA and others, FBI, an idea that these things could get more, uh, 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 these guys could be expanded into something like that in 9 11. 
But the information infrastructure in this country at that time was atrocious. There was no, you know, there was no NSA, uh, which, by the way, I think is probably an overstep, but there was really no NSA, no good way to share data between government agencies. They were information illiterate completely. The systems wow. were archaic. They were terrible. They were just, matter of fact, I, when I briefed the FBI international terrorist experts, I almost had to explain to them what a computer was and what a database was. That's how bad it was. Now, now taking, if we go back two steps real quick, um, now I know private investigators, attorneys can find anything they want to know in the world, especially when they get ready to prepare for a case. Wall Street financial analysts can find out anything they want to know uh, in the world uh, quickly. Um, why the, the government did not think that, or maybe that they felt that it was too big to get attacked. Um, they Someone down the line had some information. You just don't think it was just communicated all the way or really taken seriously. I, I, well, obviously in some places they did have the information, but remember what you can find out in 2015 was not nearly as readily available in in the year 2000, 15 years ago, a lot of what you're talking about, a lot of this information source has grown substantially since then. But even then, you're right, they, they could have had access to a lot more information. But generally, the government was very careful about building lists and building databases about the citizenry because uh, that was, uh, you know, prohibited for the government to build any large information databases. And the uh, the thing that actually happened was they ended up not building any kind of modern technology to help combat terrorism or anything else. It was, a, uh, you know, the, the guys running the CIA, FBI, Department of Justice were pretty much computer illiterates. And they they were still doing stuff the old way, knocking on doors, and that really didn't work very well uh, in 2000, 2001. Wow. And, and diving back to, uh, back to your book real quick and talking about Chapter 1, when you talk about the hardware itself, you know, uh, uh, the boy who might be forgotten, uh, the mathematics of change, uh, tell us what actually drove you uh, to speak about those two examples. To, to think about the example of finding the bad guys, or yeah, I mean, the, the uh, when you wrote in, in your book, it says uh, the chapter in chapter one about hardware, and you had the three sections, and you talk about the mathematics of change. If you can tell us about uh, that, the mathematics of change. Well, I, yeah. I think actually, uh, you know, I, I, most of my, my my story is about change and the fact that, you know, during my period of, of, of business growth, we went from almost no computers uh, to what I left in 2008, having, uh, you know, the first vestiges of big data and cloud computing. And so... The world has been driven by change over the last 20 
35, uh, well, 35 years, the period I was at Axiom, has been changed mm-hmm. by this massive growth in technology. We've had a, uh, an extraordinary explosion of things that were even unheard of 50 years ago. We couldn't even imagine what we're doing today in uh, the early 60s. So, uh, like a lot of people, I hadn't seen a computer in 1960. Many people hadn't seen a computer in 1960. They didn't really even know what they did or how they worked. So the the change in the still mathematics of change are really the thing that has driven our economy and the dramatic changes in every way of our life. It's changed the nature of the workforce. It's changed the the nature of you know jobs that pay big salaries. You know, it used to be the doctors and lawyers, and now it's the computer scientists. So the you know the 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 change has uh, has been driven mostly by technology, and it's not over yet. The Internet of Things, big data, cloud computing is still just getting going. So it's a crazy world, and and not getting any saner. Wow. And uh, going segue back, I mean, going back to your book and software, um, you kind of, you, you do the fir- chapter one, hardware, software, and end up with big, the big data. Uh, tell us about your section two of your book when you talk, you know, you talk about the Red Sea change, the do or die, uh, finding the zone, the theory of time, kind of tell us a summary of uh regarding software in your sense within your book? Well, I, you know, I don't look at the book in the, exactly the same way that uh, uh, you, you, you're describing it, mainly because it's a, it, it is just a history of building the Axiom Corporation, and software is, you know, the way we did it. And mm-hmm. people are the way we did it, and it was not a uh, just a uh, certainly a hardware or software story by any stretch. It's a people story. It's an entrepreneurial story. It's mm-hmm. a story about building and growing and learning as a individual, as a company. From our earliest days, uh, things changed rapidly at our company. We grew from twenty-five people to sixty-five hundred people. Wow, and that meant that we we lived in a very different world every year. When you're, you know, we when you, over ten year period, if you grow your revenues ten x and your people ten x, that means in a ten year period, nothing is the same. You'll be with new technology, new people, new geographies, new applications. Uh, it was nothing was static about it. So, what anyhow? It was a. Uh, uh, Quite a quite a journey we were on. What drove the change in your company uh, to, to really get that big within such a short period of time? Well, the main thing that, that drove the change in the company was the fact that we were able to find some things that we could do better than anybody else, and we were able to leverage computers. We had excellent our team, you know, mostly from our old IBMers, but we had. Uh, we had a good basic computer knowledge, and all of us were engineers, so we were problem-solving, and we became really good computer engineers, and we discovered that there was an awful lot of engineering 
challenge that we could apply using computers to the problems of database marketing. So we were really one of the first big, large-scale database marketing firms in the world, and our databases were the biggest in the world, and our customers were the biggest consumers of database marketing. We had the big banks, big insurance companies. We had virtually all the auto, you know, GM was a customer, Mercedes-Benz was a customer, Ford mm-hmm. was a customer, Allstate Insurance was a customer, Citibank was a customer. Wow. And all these guys were using tremendous amounts of data and some very sophisticated techniques to efficiently drive growth in their business. So we were building a repository of know-how and technology that uh, had a advantage over our all of our competition, mainly because we built better technology, could use computers better, and we kept our technology ahead of our competitions. What what advice coming from the, that standpoint that you give an entrepreneur how to actually to to really communicate or go after you know uh, some uh, enterprise accounts? Anything you within your experience of growing up because it uses even though the technology changed, but the story is still the same. Can you give us some advice on what you? Uh, what you did to actually to get those type of uh, 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 clients? Well, I think the the the, the advice I give young people is uh, there's a number of different basic points, but one of the most important points is understand what your advantage is. What is the thing that you do better? What is the thing that you can apply? broadly enough to solve that person or that business's problem better than anybody else. And not only should you have an ability to solve those problems, but the problems themselves ought to be big enough that you can actually generate a substantial revenue base from it. For example, when I first joined uh, my company, we were doing what we call service bureau work in Arkansas. We were very successful at it. We had hundreds of customers. The problem was the total revenue we were generating was less than a million dollars. And if we got all that business in Arkansas at the time, it probably would be $3 million. So it was just not a big business opportunity. But when we went to New York and I got a briefcase and a, uh, a new suit, went to New York, and we sold large companies eventually like Citibank starting with smaller ones, uh, Mm -hmm. applications in direct marketing, that was a big market. So we, you have to apply your skill in a market that's big enough to really matter. So have a plan, understand your advantage, be sure you've got a market that's big enough. And last but not least, don't step and get in over your head with any entrepreneurial venture. So many people end up, spending more money than they could afford to lose, and they sacrifice their family, maybe their their friends' money and others. So I always advise people, don't don't spend your last dollar on an idea. Many of your readers may know, but eight out of ten entrepreneurial businesses, startups fail. Eight out of ten fail. Wow. And because they're just... 
Well, it's all the reason I just gave. They, they had a good, maybe they had a good idea, but they didn't understand that others could compete in that area even better than they could. They didn't have enough money to really pursue it and do it right. Uh, obviously, there are other things. You, no man's an island, and it's hard to – if you can't get other people to follow you and help you and work with you and believe passionately in your idea, then maybe it's not such a great idea after all. Wow. So you, you, would, would you suggest that they need to partner with someone if they have an idea to kind of keep the capital spending? Yeah, I think you need I think it's, I really think it's important that if people, you know, have, and I, I would say no man's an island. You know, if you're going to start a business, you better be darn sure that you are able to recruit people that could not just do work. You don't just need day laborers. You, you need people that can help you build a business and people you trust, people that you think are, you know, hopefully, I think you do it right. You find people that are even smarter than you are that want to work with you and, and, and like your idea. So, you know, it's it's the idea of finding people to help you work with you and believe in your common vision about how you're going to go about building this entrepreneurial dream. Hmm. Wow. Um. Anything else, I think, regarding the book you would like to leave us with or uh, when I actually read your book? What advice will you give uh, them and what do you like to leave us with? I think it's, a, it, you know, the balance of life and data is, a, is really about, you know, building a business and the trials and tribulations of it, hopefully written in an entertaining manner that you'll enjoy it, feel like you learned something. And there's some lessons in it about the things that I've talked about. And you know, I talk about business culture. You know, I talk about the mistakes that we made that uh, would hopefully give people some some thought before they make the same mistakes. So it was, it's really a combination of, of different things that I hope would make somebody better able and better suited to building their own business and 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 doing something entrepreneurial, but at the same time, be entertained. Actually, I find that people's, uh, the women like the book as much as the guys do. And some people say, hey, that's a great story. And other guys say it's a great business book. So, you know, take your pick. I'll, I'm happy either way. But uh, you can buy the book on Amazon or the local number of local bookstores have it. We matters of life and data dot com is our website, so it's pretty mm -hmm. easy to remember. Go to matters of life and data dot com, and uh, we have I've got some videos there talking about some of the things we've been talking about here today. And you can order the book direct, the hardcover books directly from there. But you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and so we've got lots of links so if you're not quite sure whether you want the book or not you can go there and do a little more investigative work perfect and what's that uh that website address again is matters of life and data.com all one word wow 
Well, Charles, I really appreciate you coming on the show, giving us that, that detail, some very good advice on entrepreneurship and also regarding the data industry itself, uh, the matters of life and data. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Tim. Take care. You're listening to The Core Business Show. I'm Tim J.K., your host. You can download this episode on iTunes or Block Talk Radio or uh, Link 6. Thank you for joining us today. Everybody have a great day and take care. Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.